We've always been Gabby and Jenny. Hello, and welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast where we watch a romantic comedy, typically featuring a love triangle, and tell you why the protagonist picked the wrong person. But sometimes we watch a movie where the protagonist picks the right person, and then we just talk about that movie anyway. And that's what we're going to do again today on this very special bonus episode featuring our guest, the director of A New York Christmas Wedding. I am Jennifer. I'm Samantha. And I'm Sadie. And as Jennifer said, we have a super, super special guest. Um, a couple weeks ago, we did a New York Christmas wedding on the podcast. It's uh, a new holiday romance comedy that came out on Netflix this year. Um, and so we have the director, and he also wrote the film, and he also plays our our other guy. <laughs> you should see the other guy, uh, Atoja Abbott. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, ladies. I really, really appreciate it. Atoje, I waited to say this till we were recording, but <laughs> I am so thankful that on our original episode, I had no idea that you would listen to it. And oh. I am also <laughs> glad that I had no idea that you were the actor playing David as well, because oh. you are very handsome. And <laughs> I am afraid I would have just flattered you and not had any <laughs> genuine discussion about the movie had I known going in. <laughs> well, I, I, was, I would say you're still able to flatter me now, so it's all pretty good. <laughs> Samantha, come in here with the journalistic ethics. We need you to ask the hard-hitting questions. Uh, we're just really g glad you came on. Um, the, I believe this is our first time speaking to the writer-director of a movie that we've covered on the podcast, and we're, you approached us. You heard the podcast, and you told us uh, you have questions, I have answers. So um, I want to get into some harder-hitting questions in a bit, yeah, but do, the first question do. I have is, where is the ornament right now? Oh. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. First, first off, I just want to say thank you for having me on. Um, I always feel that this is my first uh, feature film that I've ever, I've ever made. I made one film before this, a short film called Jitters on Amazon Prime. And um, with, with theaters being non-existent during this pandemic, when people watch the film on Netflix and they talk about it on social media platforms, I always say whenever they put up a New York Christmas wedding, it's almost like the, a bat signal. You know, whenever I read everything, I see everything because I clearly am so infatuated with this film. But it's also it's my first. So um, when making the film, I really wanted to have people relate to it and more than anything, hope that it made sense. And when I heard your podcast, I realized, oh, it does make sense, but there are some questions that I would love to answer and not just leave you three out there with nothing. And I also love the fact, as it was stated before, where you're rooting for the other guy and I am the other guy. So I, feel, I felt that it would be fair enough to kind of celebrate David's lost love in a way during this podcast. But um. <laughs> The ornament, the ornament, Asriel's ornament. That's a real, that's a real uh, ornament. We, Cooper Koch, the actor who played Asriel, wonderful actor. We did a life, we did a real, like a small size, sample size ornament of himself. It was a 3D, 3D, 3D um, company. And that ornament was about $500. So as much as people think it's like, this is so cheesy or what does this mean? It was really invested to have, to have this ornament where people see Asriel living forever. But the ornament itself lives in Cooper's. Cooper gave the ornament to his mother, and there he's right now in California with the ornament. His mother loved it. It's like a really nice <laughs> sentimental gift for his mother. <laughs> That's that is beautiful. Delightful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jen's husband was trying to track down in the end credits who made the ornament. Like, oh, yeah. how can I possibly replicate <laughs> it? 
<laughs> oh, I mean, I mean, definitely, I'll get that name for you, but it's definitely something where it's a company where you could definitely get that made. I mean, what would the would the owner be of Jennifer though, or would it just be another Azriel? Oh, we want an Azriel ornament. Definitely, okay. yeah. Okay. Yes. So, maybe, so, so maybe the what, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I thought maybe we'll put Jennifer, Jennifer, you know, in the type of um, Christmas tree. But maybe next year for the one year anniversary, I would think maybe we should probably do like a, a type of small ornament for everyone, like a cult ornament. Everyone will have this Azriel in the tree, yes. and they would think, "Did you see that film?" And we have we have questions, you know, one of those type of things. <laughs> you you oh, walk into our, to our someone's guess. living room. <laughs> And you're like, oh my god! Yeah. You instantly <laughs> have that. <laughs> you know, you know. Yeah. It's like you're in yeah. the club. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The new benchmark of the Our queer community the is: Do you have it? <laughs> <laughs> do you do you have the Azrael ornament? Yeah. So what, what what made the ornament? What made the ornament such a like a not a draw? But my intention with the ornament was just to at first for the first original draft, it was written where Jennifer, young Jennifer, they kiss, and then at the end of the film, she tells uh, young Gabrielle. Um, let's decorate the tree and then young um, young Jennifer says um, she picks up the ornament without putting it on the tree and says oh this is my favorite ornament and then puts it on there in the sense that there's significance to the ornament for us as a viewer because like any I mean I grew up in a household where my mother has the first ornament that I've ever received and my grand my nieces and nephews have them so what happens when an ornament travels in the sense of every year in someone, someone's life mm. so I always felt that the ornament would be something where 20 years from now that same ornament which would mean at the time nothing to young Gabrielle and it kind of means something to young Jennifer it's her favorite because she likes it but to us the viewers we knew that this ornament would last on forever it's a symbol of their love that's what I wanted to that whole type of um meaning to feel and I know a lot of people get so caught up about this whole um spirit Azrael and does Azrael know this and that but the I the ending was supposed to have the idea of we see this ornament as any other Christmas type of story and we feel as if wow that's a nice cute way to feel as if Azrael even though he's gone forever out of out of Jennifer's life because of the fact he gave up he gave up his his life not his life he gave up his spirit for his existence for um Jennifer to go back and be in love with his mother I wanted that ornament to be symbolic where no matter what even in this symbolic way Azrael lives on forever so it's not like this morbid type of thing but a lot of people had other thoughts well I like that Azrael is someone who has a personal connection to the main characters because often in these kinds of movies we we just did the family man um yep. last yep. week which I'm sure you're familiar with often the angel is just like oh they're just a mischievous guardian angel sent to yep. like random show people an alternate timeline um so i think it's it's really interesting that your movie gives the guardian angel like a personal connection to yeah the couple yeah and i, I think I mean, I, i'm an actor first so i think that's because of me always with an actor like what's my backstory what's my where am i coming from what's this what's that and I, with the family man, it's, and other angel stories, it's really, they work well because an angel's an angel, right? We get it, you know? And the family man, Don, che Don Cheadle's character is there to help Nick, Nick Cage, and he's an angel, right? But we don't know exactly, it doesn't matter his story, basically, right? He just, you know, and then you have other films where, like one of my favorites, Meet Joe Black, where um, Brad Pitt's mm. character, he's not an angel, but he's death, but he takes the form of someone else's body, right? So I was going with that type of um, thought where if you're a spirit, spirits come, it's factual. Spirits come with three heads. Spirits come with, um, you know, short 
tall, old, it doesn't matter. There's still a spirit. The spirit is what, it's almost interesting too. If you ever see the film Soul, I don't know if you three are very big movie buffs, but Soul that came on Disney Plus, uh. literally they're, they're trying to talk about the message about your soul is what lives on to other people rather than other things, right? So I felt the spirit for Azriel is, is the most important thing. But again, mm-hmm. when you're dealing with visuals and film and... Oh, I'm so sorry. Is that I can't Azriel coming me. for us right now? <laughs> <laughs> he heard us talking about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, but I would say I, I thought with the idea of a spirit where we get it. Yes, it's a spirit in a human form. But how do you, how do you uh, not even normalize, but how do you make sense of a spirit in, uh, first of all, a time-traveling film. So people that take it very literal, I mean, more power to them, but we must have gotten you with time travel already. But I just felt that his spirit wouldn't really... I wanted to deepen his connection to Jennifer. It's like, why Why does he? Why does, Why is he Jennifer's guardian angel? Is it because people are just waiting out there for us to be guardians? I don't think so. I, I just felt that to tie him to Jennifer and Gabrielle as a love story made it deeper for me as a writer. And also, I think for the actor to play something too. So Cooper to kind of... Know that I'm gonna give up my my spirit, my my existence for for my my mom to have her true first love, and I think that's the intention. And it may have gotten lost for some people, but there are some people who who love it. You know, they love the idea of like this is so powerful and deep in a way. And I don't know, I just, it's just it's just it's just like hit or hit or miss in a way. But the intention that's why I wanted to come up and talk to all three of you. The intention was to just deepen the character for the angel character and also to deepen why this love story meant so much to Azriel because it was about the angel of death Azriel giving up his existence for love which is his mother's love and at first we wanted to I wanted to name the film Azriel's Gift and our producers wanted to name it a New York Christmas wedding and obviously for people who are used to the Christmas holiday type of um, canon of films a New York Christmas wedding is the right way to go and people would turn it on and be very surprised in five minutes when you see uh, an animal being put down, <laughs> you know? So, I, 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 I always say, if you watch this film in the first five minutes, you're like, okay, this is different, you know? And either you like that or you don't. So um, I wanted our film to be titled Asriel's Gift because I wanted to kind of step away from that whole type of Hallmark type of tradition. I was writing it for that type of sense, but I wanted us to be very, very different right away. It's New York City, mm-hmm. it's indie, blah, blah, blah. But Asriel's gift, I felt it was more of Asriel, his gift is giving up his existence for love. And I thought that was more of an apropos title, but our producers are like, Asriel, no one knows what that means. People don't know the name. People are going to be like, what's going on? People will be confused. And they had a point, but also that's where it gets kind of mixed up in a sense of the film's theme and then how it's marketed. And that's where it's a whole other story. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think deep is the right word. You know, I think like you log on to Netflix, you see the thumbnail, you see a New York Christmas wedding and your brain might be primed for a certain kind of experience, like relatively low level of engagement and just yeah. some some nice fluff. And yeah. I think all of us, the more we watch and rewatch the movie, the more we like it. We oh, have you. just like really kind of, sunk our teeth into it and it's like um you know it it operates on the level of oh it's the fantasy holiday rom-com but it says a lot about 
religion, faith, love, like thinking about lost choices, lost yeah. opportunities. Um, yeah, it just, it un- it reveals more of itself to you the more you watch it, I think. Yeah, we just hope that people have 90 minutes in different intervals, you know, for the, for the whole month of December, they watch it four times. But I, I, I also wrote it because my, my first short film, Jitters, you know, I have, I have a twist ending there and people have to go back and see it from a different perspective. I always say... My two films, they're better to, to watch with people because the person next to you will take it in different than you'll take it in because you're bringing yourself into the experience. So there are some people who mm-hmm. watch the film and they love it because of the fact that literally I've heard people, I've, I've met a crossroad in my life. I chose to be with this person, but deep down inside, I knew I'll be happier with someone I truly love. But in the end, I have to think about my future, my career. And that's totally fine. It's a realistic thing. That's why I wrote this film for that aspect. But then there are people that get really emotional because they feel as if this is almost a mirror to my life right now. And what if I really follow my heart rather than my mind being what's practical? Because 10 years later, 20 years later, which is a universal thing rather than just like a queer narrative, people still worry about what if I really follow my heart with that one person rather than then being practical. And that's that's humanity. And I think for, like I said before, about making this film for that type of Hallmark audience, but having my own perspective on it, it's also something where I just wanted to, there are people out there who watch a lot of these bubbly films and you say they they tune out and they should because it's all in the background, but they're still good stories. I mean, I just saw Midnight, Midnight, Midnight at Magnolia this morning, and I, I really, really enjoyed it. Netflix, and it was, it was a joy, enjoy. It was, I enjoyed it. It was cute. It was happy. You know. Then I go and look at people's comments, and they're like, "The actor was terrible." This and that. It's like this is. It's so interesting how people don't just take the stories in for a story, and they want it to be like the next Titanic. That's you know on Hulu or something mm-hmm. like. You know what I mean? It's just so bizarre that happens. But cause, cause, because technically these Christmas films, you're supposed to watch like ten a day. You know, you're not supposed to get. You're not supposed to get so drawn by one. But I think our film is one of the things where it affects you in a way either you love it or you hate it. And hate is an operative word because it's something that's unexpected. You know, we, we are the first film with diverse leads with the queer narrative. And I don't want to lead it as a queer film because I think it's a film for everyone. But there are a lot of people who, who have yet to see a Christmas film where they see two women getting married. And I think our film normalizes it in a way because it's more about, I wanted to put it more about their fight with the church saying we're equal rather than to fight with their parents about we want to marry each other because people already in this world i think i'm from new york city where people who are queer they're out they're out there and they have our love and support but what happens when your whole community loves you but when you're following literally your whole life you're following a type of religious home and they your, your religious home says yeah, we welcome you, but we don't. But you're not equal, and I, I find that fascinating for me. And that's why me as an ally, I'm a straight man. I just kept on thinking about that more than anything when writing this film. And I think to have that in a holiday film is a lot. I get it, but there's a a big portion of people out there who, when they saw this film, they felt seen because no other holiday film would go there because that doesn't sell technically, and it's it's controversial, and we all understand that. But it's still something specific to some people, and and that. In that, when something that's specific, it becomes universal. Mm-hmm. Our guest, um, when we when we originally discussed this movie, Elizabeth Simmons is actually doing a master's. She is an expert. She studies Christmas movies mm-hmm. and has apparently already like written a thesis about 
heterosexual Christmas movies and then now is focusing on queer narratives. And she said she and her partner hit it because like you said, just watch 10 a day, just, you know, keep the Christmas movies coming and had no idea what to expect going in. And then we're so delighted, uh, you know, to to be surprised by this movie. And she pointed out, and I I take her word for it, um, since she's an expert in Christmas movies, that this was the first time she had ever seen like a trans or gender non-conforming person in the the wedding scene in the church in a Christmas movie movie ever yeah. that usually Taylor. that's just yeah. completely ignored yeah yeah that's a great eye that she had um definitely that's our one of our one of our uh i don't want to one of our, our uh communion couples was taylor and you know when i i i was very very um conscious of how i cast this film and for the people that i knew it was very important that you want to be a part of this and we went out to cast queer actors and some queer actors and this is the whole thing if you're queer, it doesn't mean you have to be in a film. Some queer actors say no because it's a low-budget film, and people forget about that. Why didn't you cast a queer person? Because we did, and we asked them, and they said no. That happened. You know, not <laughs> not only straight people say no to roles, right? Um, so um, we were definitely conscious of how we cast that. I actually, we to cast Azrael at first. I went to Glad, and I and I reached out to Glad early on in the writing process. I said, "Hey, I'm doing a Christmas film. I would love to cast." a trans or non-binary type of angel character. They read the script. Glad came back. They said, you know, we like your script a lot, but we just want to say if you were to cast a trans or non-binary person as your angel Azriel, it will be a disservice rather than a benefit because you are basically saying that the trans or non-binary people could only play mythical people rather than real people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, to get that type of feedback early on, and people, you know, people, some people who are out there in the world that spectators and viewers, they think that doesn't mean anything. What does that mean? But it's, it's coming from Glad. Glad is saying... Our whole, the whole fight for trans and non-binary people is that they're not playing real people. They're playing things that don't exist. So if you're a trans person to the point about being someone who's diverse in a queer holiday film, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as an angel? That would be great, but you want to see yourself as a normal person falling in love as well, you know? And I, I think that's what we were conscious of with that. But then when we were casting the communion couples, it was very important to me to have people all from the LGBTQ plus type of, uh, um, the different type of genders for that, because I wanted to make sure that they're all represented in a way. And, you know, we were able and fortunate enough with our background casting director, Hilary Greer, Hilary Greer Casting, to really find people who they were aware that we were trying to highlight queer couples for this very, very important scene. For me, I thought it was very important because it's the first time you're going to see a mass type of um, communion offering to LGBTQ plus people. And at first, the film was written where I wanted to have that to be a very a mass wedding, where it's like everyone getting married at one time, all the queer people inside the church. But our producers felt that it would take away from Jennifer and Gabby's love story if everyone's getting married. But yeah. I, but I, I wanted to have it everyone get married at once because I was so emotionally blown away. I don't know if you all remembered when uh, Macklemore, they did that massive wedding for everyone at the Grammys about like four years ago, I believe. Mm-hmm, uh, Macklemore, mm-hmm. I forget the other person, but they all they, they, they married about, must have been about 80 couples in the middle, in the Grammys. That's when, they, that's when um, they legalized gay marriage and they married everyone. And I was so moved by, it's almost the idea of where, where someone opens a door, like the small door, and everyone like, rushes in because they don't want the door to close. And I felt like in this film, once Father Kelly is saying he's on board to support um, gay marriage, I wanted everyone, everyone who was a part of, who, everyone wants to get married in that church. It's not just Jennifer and Gabby. They're one of many people. But Jennifer and Gabby's our lead people. We have to follow them. So I'll, we came up with the idea where, and I learned recently too, and this is the whole thing. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's a religious type of thing, but 
if you take away, if you, if you go to the core of the religion, and this may be asking a lot of people for a holiday film, but there's some people who get married in the church, they divorce their spouse, and they don't want to divorce their spouse, but it happens. And those people still feel as if every single day they are not, they, they, they feel as if they, they're not as equal in the sense of God's eyes because they failed God in sin or something like that, right? So I wanted to kind of show what happens when people still go to church, but they, they still don't feel equal. Again, you know, there's Jennifer and Gabby, there's other people in the church who still have this type of, um, not doubt or guilt, but it's the idea that they still love coming to a home, but they just want to be seen as equal. And there's no such, and the whole people thought about it was an outing. It was not an outing at all. Everyone at church is aware about the gay couples and the straight couples. Every time after church, the people would go and have coffee and tea. John will be there with Jeremy and Liz will be there with Melanie. It all happens, you know. But for Father Kelly in this scene, it was important for him to kind of symbolize the idea that we could all be supportive of people and welcome welcoming to people behind closed doors. When you're in an altar, almost like a stage saying, this is what I support and we're moving forward with this. Almost like Father Kelly's doing that for himself to God, like a higher power, you know. That's what I was going for for there. Yeah. Oh no, I, I really love that. As a, you know, a queer ex Mormon, I have a lot of friends who are still in the church who are like kind of in the position of like uh, Jennifer and Gabby in this movie of like, they're going to church, they believe in it, they like the community and and they're waiting for a day when they can feel like fully accepted and embraced by the church. So it was cool to see like queer characters like in this position of like, not outright just being rejected by their faith leader, but like seeking a greater acceptance. And where did that idea come from is the catholic angle personal for, for you or yeah or something yeah. you got interested in or yeah yeah i'm, I'm, I'm happy you said this samantha because i remember last time you spoke about mormonism too and just the idea of what you're saying just now how some people you understand where that's coming from and i think yeah we have catholicism here but it's all religion in a way and what you're saying about the people that you know we could wait decades for that to happen but like in a holiday film where we see answers and fun, loving stuff, let's watch it now today in 2020. You know, why, why wait to why wait for it to happen in reality? Let's see what the fantasy could look like, and that fantasy could only happen in the alternate world. That that's the hard part. You know, it can't happen in the real world because people won't believe it. Even though people took people took the wedding scene in the alternate world very very seriously, but it's an alternate world. But in the end, you kind of have to show people, give people what they want. And with my first film, Jitters, it's about a man who's in the back of the church getting married. He's um, he's questioning his past loves, and he talks to his best friend to get him down the aisle. And I'm I'm at the point in my life where marriage is very very important to me. But I'm not married yet. But this idea that a lot of people, my friends, are getting married, and I was always I was always amazed when people get married. And I've, I've been um, I've been uh, a groomsman, and you know the guys all have all the bravado and drink alcohol in the back and feel like everything is great. But I've always thought like, you're getting married, isn't it? It's a big day. What, don't you want to talk about this? I'm the, I'm the emotional talker and no one wants to talk about it because they all suppress their type of feelings by just boozing and celebrating, which is fine. But mm-hmm. I know deep down inside, there's some men who are fearful, but they don't say anything. So we only see narratives with, with fearful um partners where they're brides because it's the idea of oh it's a runaway bride it's a bride who's very very emotional but they're emotional guys and so we never see that so in my short film i showed the side of an emotional man and i played the role so now you see an emotional black man which you never never see which you rarely see and then twist twist spoiler alert at the end of the film i'm talking to my best friend and he's trying to get me down the aisle and he says go out there i know you better than you know you and then i finally go out there and you have no idea who i'm marrying but i walk down the church and i get to the altar i grab my best friend's hand who's a guy and we get married 
So the whole thing about this mm. film is that people they never saw that twist ending happening. What we're watching next. Yeah. <laughs> but they never they never saw that twist ending happening, but they also felt that the film wasn't about the twist ending at all. It was about showing two people who were in love but not having to say, I love you, I love you, I love you because some real some relationships are just real about people knowing each other rather than overtly saying I love you for people to know that they're a couple, you know? This is more realistic in that way. Um so when I saw when I rescreened that film, we went to film festivals and everything like that. A lot of people were just um, really emotional because they'd never seen a queer couple so normalized and they'd never seen a queer couple get married in a real Catholic church. So while making this film, I kind of took what really stood out to me from that type of experience because we had a production company, Conglomerate Media, that saw Jitters. They enjoyed it. Um, they said, we want to make a holiday film, a queer holiday film. Ideally, if you could do Jitters for a feature-length film, you know, we could help fund this. And for any first-time filmmaker, if someone says, we're going to fund your first film, you say yes right away. So, you know, we said yes. But then while trying to expand the narrative, they wanted four things conglomerate. They said they wanted New York City, a Christmas wedding in a church, and a queer couple. And then that's all they gave me to kind of make this feature film. And I try to expand Jitters into something bigger, but Jitters works as a short. And when you see it, it's just contained. It's very, very, it's almost about he's in the back room of the church. Is he going to walk down the aisle or not? What's happening there? Once you kind of add all these different stories, it doesn't really work as much. But the same type of themes really resonated with me. So then I thought, let me just kind of expand the theme of just the idea of getting married in the church and how important that is, but also make the female characters because it's something different than what I am, clearly. And then also try to talk about what's personal to me you know i'm a catholic person and i'm someone who i sit in church and there's some mm -hmm. people who like i know i know people who literally stepped away from the church because it's gabby's plight in the film it's like we were born here we were baptized here we we're communed here i work for you you know jennifer for our whole lives and you're saying because i love her rather than a random man who you might know as well that you can't marry us. And the priest says, and it's a very it's a very good scene for me that I love to watch over and over again. Father Kelly says, you know, there's other churches that are officiating same-sex marriages. And Jennifer stands up to him and the church saying, no, I want to get married here with you. You know, it's like, I want you to be a part of our lives because you have been there. And you're saying, because we love each other, you can't. And Father Kelly, it's a conflict of it. So Father Kelly wants to be there, but he also knows for a fact it's not up to him. It's up to the higher power. But when does someone start to defend? When does someone start to defend defend other people and do what's right? But what's right at this point in time, we don't know. So for me, I was kind of very, very um, invigorated by that type of uh, dilemma for the church. And I also felt, you know, I'm, it's personal to me. Going back to your saying, Samantha, it's just personal because I just feel there's a lot of people out there who why is it taking 2020 for an independent filmmaker to make a film about a same-sex marriage in a church. You know, Hollywood has all the blows, bells and whistles. We didn't have much money, but we had a film that was definitely something no one had seen before. And I think for any filmmakers out there or any storytellers, when you're an independent filmmaker, you have to do something that's original no one has ever seen before. And that's how you stand out. And people have seen many films about love. People see many films about a queer romance story, but people have never seen a feel-good holiday film with queer leads who are diverse. Just fighting to get normalized, fighting for equality, basically. That's exactly what it is. It's fighting for equality. And now, how do you fight? Because in the end, you can get married in a, in, a, in a wedding in the back of someone's house, you know, have an ordained minister, but it's not about that. It's about when to get married. That's how you dream to get dreamt of being married when you were four in a church. Okay, first, I want to note that now our podcast has a scoop. We are on top of the gossip because I'm not sure if you are aware of this, but when I went to Google Atoje uh, prior to his coming on the podcast, the first Google suggestion that 
tries to autofill is Atoje Abbott wife, question yeah, mark. Yeah. So now we have that scoop. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, <laughs> And yes. then I just wanted to ask you to talk to us for a minute about Chris Noth. I think yeah. we also, we all started screaming when we saw who we know uh, best as Mr. Big pop yeah. up, not only as a Catholic <laughs> priest, but then a Catholic priest who who does end up um, embodying this fantasy of acceptance in the Catholic Church. And in both realities, when Jennifer mm-hmm. goes to to try to find out what happened to Gabby in the in the universe when she's with David, you know, mm-hmm. and that he he has still come to this conclusion on either timeline. Uh, so I don't know. Tell us about how, how Mr. Big <laughs> ended up being your priest. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll well, Chris and I are very, very good friends. We worked on Broadway together on a play called That Championship Season. I was assistant director, and Chris is one of the actors with Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, Brian Cox, and Jim Gaffigan. And it's a play about basketball. I'm a former basketball player. And um, the director, Tony Winner, Gregory Mosier, we're doing this play about basketball and about um, high school friends who... 20 years later, reunite to celebrate a winning championship. And as an actor and director, I always felt that I should be a part of this type of production, but it's about five white males in Scranton, Pennsylvania, so I can never be in the play. So it's about working behind the scenes. And I reached out to the director and said, which I truly believe, I'm the best basketball player in New York City as an actor. I have to be a part of this, this production somehow. And I came on board as his, his, his assistant. And ever since then, Chris, all the guys have been, they've been like my bigger brothers. They're my bigger, my bigger brothers and they've been mentors to myself and, and Jitters. Chris was an executive producer on that. You know, he's someone who came on board to support and we had the actor Jason Patrick was, he plays a role in Jitters as well. So when this film came about, they were all very happy that I'm making my first film feature film and they want to help out any way and Chris rather than just being someone putting money down he read the role of Father Kelly and said you know this is really interesting and you know I would you know it would be great if I could be a part of this you know he didn't he didn't like beg to be part of the film no way but I said this is a role where you could do you could do you could do something that's so unexpected of you as Chris the actor but also something that's fulfilling for him now because he's a very spiritual person you know I helped Chris run lines he's someone where before in the past he'll definitely we went to church together not in a way where he's not a religious person, but he's just so interested in it. He's a very spiritual person. So he loved the idea of having this conflicted priest. You know, he's played a lot of conflicted, conflicted men in his past with <clears throat> um, um, Mr. Big, John Preston, for people out there who want spoilers. But uh, he also <laughs> played, uh, you know, Peter Florick. You know, he, he plays these characters yeah. that he's so good at playing someone who is very much their own independent person. But in their independence, they, they're just so lovable. And what, what other person is than, than a priest? And I just thought also with all the um, the uh, praise Fleabag was getting for the hot priest. I'm like, no, no, a New York Christmas <laughs> wedding has a real hot priest the and Chris knows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, so, so yeah, he just came on board and he was just like, whatever you need. And when you have Chris come on board for a low budget film, but he's on board to support me because he wants to keep on seeing me grow as a filmmaker and also as a producer. And then you have other people come on board because of Chris. So, I mean, it's just a lot of people are very surprised to see him in it, which I totally understand. But I also think you can't have a New York City film without Chris Noth in it. And luckily enough, I knew him to kind of have him sign on the dotted line. Is it true that he insists that everyone refer to him as Mr. Big at all times on set? No, he actually, he actually, it's so funny. He Actually, if, if you see him on the street and you say Mr. Big, he'll definitely kind of... It's hard for him because it's New York City and he's he's a New York City icon. That's, that's, that's not... There's no hidden agenda there. He knows that too. You know, we'll go to restaurants. We'll go out. He takes the subway. I mean, he's literally... He's out there and he's out and about in New York City and 
people yell Mr. Big at him and he kind of at first is kind of it's like it's fun and it's exciting but to hear it for the past 20 years becomes a lot and now people it's not just about saying hi Mr. Big I love you in this episode of series people want to have photos all the time so for him he definitely he rather talk about other roles than he would about um, Sex in the City but he is aware how Sex in the City has been so monumental to New York City and to his career but he's definitely he's an he's a Yale trained actor he'll talk to you about Shakespeare more so than Mr. Big but on set he went by Chris but he was so he was great on set I mean a lot of the um a lot of the actors and the background actors too the wedding guests they were just they never, they never seen again it's a low budget film you have fam- family and friends in the audience they never seen an actor do that that big sermon speech over and over and over again and they were all very emotional and just captivating by that and Chris did say too um he's like you know Toad he calls me Toe from a Toe. He called me Toe. Like, you know, you know, like, you know Toe, you know, you, you ran a good set where all the people in the audience, I could tell they were really listening to what I was saying. You know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just him getting his, getting his close up and then, you know, we, we move on and turn around. But he really, he really loved the fact that for 10 minutes he was almost like theater to him. And that's why he sees a priest like, like doing things in a religious way. He sees that theatrical because it is theatrical theater. I mean, um, uh, church sometimes, you know, you have the big people speaking, you have the big songs, you have this, you have that. But he loved the idea when he was speaking and doing his scene and giving his sermon, his gospel, where people were really responding to him with every word he was saying. Like they were giving him so much <clears throat> that he was giving to them. So it was very, it was, it was amazing to be a part of that, um, that day where we filmed that. And there was a lot of thunder, thunderstorms happening too. So it was very, it was very strange when he was not damning God, but then you'll hear like a, a thunderstorm <laughs> in the background. You're like, oh, this is kind of, this is way too close to home. What's happening here? Well, if I ever see him on the street, I'm going to shout, Father Kelly. Yes. There we go. Oh, there we good. go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there. We, and he'll stop and talk to you. Look at that. He'll stop and talk to you for sure. <laughs> so funny. So how how can I ask you a question? So how, what about with the with when obviously you have to have films and find yourselves in these films? But for Mormon people, might you know, if, or even with your experience, you see a religious film like that. Are you turned off by the the idea of Catholicism, or you understand religion as its uh, symbolism for a, another message? I like stories like this, where I think often in queer stories, understandably, given the rejection that many people have faced, like religion often just functions as as kind of a flat, like big bad, you know. Mm-hmm, so I like mm-hmm. a story like this where where it's more nuanced and more complicated than that, where like, you know, uh, something like 40% of LGBT Americans like are religious. And, and yet, like, that's not the majority of the LGBT media representation we see. And so I think it's cool to see this, like, you know, um, this like really deep nuanced kind of story about these characters. And I think that's a theme, like with the movie overall, I one of the things we talked about on the main episode was like, how, you know, David isn't um, like just character assassinated, how like, (laughs) you know, and I I think there's all of these different places in the movie where you could have gone the really easy route and you chose a more challenging route instead. Um, And is that your instinct as a filmmaker? You know, I hear those bullet points and I think someone could have just, the the production company gave you for for the movie. And I think, oh, this could have been such a like such a like a simple movie and yeah. and you turned it into something really like dynamic and interesting yeah well thank you 
Thank you. Yeah, I, I, de- I definitely feel because of me as a filmmaker, and also it's my first film where if if you're churning out and if you look at the credits for all the Hallmark and the majority of Hallmark and uh, Lifetime films, they're the same writers, they're the same directors, and that's fine. And if you're churning them out, you're just hitting things where people want. But for me as a first-time filmmaker, granted, I'm happy to make my first film be a genre film, but that's unheard of because when you're a first-time filmmaker, you have to come out, you have to come out right away about like who are you as a filmmaker? What what are you saying as a filmmaker? What's like you know these people, independent films, their first films, they have to make noise in a way because like I said before, they were talking about Jennifer, the idea that like, it's an it's an original type of story that no one has seen before because it's you, right? So to have a genre film about Christmas for a first time filmmaker, it's you don't people don't do that because it's it's showing something that people have seen many times and how do you stand out? And I I was aware of that when writing the film, but I also am lucky enough to have jitters kind of have something where a genre specific wedding, but I made it very personal. And to have something like this, the four things, if I hit four things in a way where it's very very um, hokey and very silly and fine, or even not even to say offensive because. It's hard because, again, as a straight man who's an ally, how do I write something where people are saying this isn't for us, even though the intention with the four bullet points were made for those people? You know what I mean? So it was very important to me that I had to make something that's universal and the main thing was love. And what better way to highlight love than having someone who had feelings for a best friend, goes up and meets someone else, but still has those same feelings. And it's more about love than it is about the gender. And mm-hmm. and then the whole dynamic about is it bisexual, is it pansexual? I didn't want to label Jennifer as a as a as a as a character because I feel that's the future of LGBTQ plus narratives or stories is that it's not about making a declarative statement about someone's gender or declarative statement about I'm gay or coming out. It's not about that. It's just about telling normal stories, have the characters be what they are. But when you're making a feature film, people have questions. I totally understand that. But I just always wanted to make sure that for me, I couldn't do something where people expect it. Because if you expect what's happening next, you just put on the background. But if you're, like I said, if you watch a film, and it was very intentional, the first five minutes, you know, they always say, how do you introduce your lead character as a filmmaker? That's very, very important. And, and hopefully when you all watch films now, you could tell... How you can tell how interesting a film could be is when they how they introduce their lead character. And I always had the idea of you introduce Jennifer with grief because she's been living her life for twenty years with that. So yeah, we didn't we, you know it's it's hard in a holiday film to have her seeing a dog that's being put down, but people never forget how they meet her for the first time because that's that's a not even haunting, but it's a very interesting choice if you want to go back to what you're saying, Samantha. But and that's how the movie mm-hmm. starts. And I wanted to kind of keep on going with that throughout the film. How do I do something that hasn't been seen before, personal to me? but also still in that same type of vein or hitting those tropes. I was trying to do that. I, I had a friend, you know, when you make films, you have to, some people make a film and they go down a straight line. Some people go down a straight line, they turn left halfway through, then turn back right and get back on the line. And that's where good storytelling is, where you're on that same line, people are expecting things, but you have to kind of get off the line a little bit to get people still interested or surprise them then get back to the end. So yeah. That's a very fil- fil- filmic answer, but I think that makes somewhat sense. No, I, I definitely loved Jennifer's character and how complex she was. You know, we don't really get to see those in-between years from when, you know, she has yeah. this this um, uh, breakup with, with Jenny and then, or with Gabby, and then, you know, 20 years later, like so much happens in between. But you know from yeah. the way that she acts and the way that she feels different you know, in the way that she acts different, you can kind of tell how much she's been through. And 
I also really appreciated the way that um, Jenny's sexuality was handled. You know, I think that for a lot of people, mm-hmm. me included, sexuality is very fluid. Um, you know, bisexual, pansexual, it's about the person. And I think that, you know, not everyone has a label, not everyone, you know, has the same label all the time. And so I think that yeah. um, having Jenny not label herself and just, you know, um, at the end when she's well near the end when she's walking away with david i think that she would have been happy with david um i think that she would have you know kind of at some point come to peace with gabby's death um i you know gabby was her one true love but i think that jenny's sexuality was much more was was very nuanced and i loved that um and when i i i was the one who um wanted us to cover this movie because I was so pleasantly surprised by it. I was browsing through the holiday Netflix fair and I saw it and I was like, oh, a queer, I'll click on it. Um, and I wasn't, yeah, I was expecting something <laughs> very different from what I got. It was, it was so much more nuanced and different. It had a great soundtrack. Um, and oh, one of the, it was, because when I, I usually stay away from holiday rom-coms because, you know, the general theme is just very Midwestern bland Protestantism, yep. you know, at like a, at like a yep. low simmer the whole time, you know, it's very straight, yep. cis, white and, you know, on a Christmas tree farm in Indiana. So I was yep. really pleasantly surprised as, as to how complex it was and how much Catholicism, multicultural Catholicism played a role in, in a queer film. Um, I, I loved it. I've seen it several times. I, I watched it and I rewatched it. And every time I do, <laughs> as Samantha said, I, I like it a bit more. You know, I like it more each time I watch uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know where I was going with that, but... Yeah, I, I was, I definitely I agree you with speak, you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's, it's so interesting because it's definitely something where when Jennifer tells David, this is my first love and David's like, and I, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I wish I could have met her. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a thing where I feel as if it's almost me telling my future fiance saying, hey, this is my high school love and I don't see them anymore. And they should handle it a certain way for the idea of gender or not. But I think because we're used to seeing things in life and films where we're never seeing that type of character, we're not never, but it's a rarity. We're seeing a type of character that aren't shocked by, oh my gosh, you used to love a woman. I don't know who you are anymore, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's, it's not about that. David loves her. That was her past and he's okay with her past. And if he's okay with the past it's okay to move forward in life with her i think those are both those are two things i'm I'm exploring in my films where as i said before with the jitters it's someone that has to be okay with this past and it takes that real partner that loves you to understand it's your past and move on from that and the reason why i had the two men in jitters because i feel when you marry someone they should not they should be your best friend but you're marrying a best friend they should know everything about you maybe your spouse may not know everything about you but your one best friend does because they're your best friend they've seen it all so you can't lie to them if they know you're lying they can tell you're lying just by a look on your face but sometimes i feel with with partners we don't give that to each other at times because you know i'll tell it to my best friend rather than you partner so i just felt like what happens when you marry your best friend and yes you're talking about someone from your past but they've been there with you the whole time so they're kind of like i get it i get it so 
okay. And that, I mean, I mean that's me probably like the the optimist, uh, the opt, op, the optimistic person in me that wants everyone to kind of just be honest about who they love. And in the end, people will be like, okay, great, great for you, move on. But you never know. And I and I think going back to what you said, to have David, especially with Jennifer, it's like you know. I, as I was asking her, one of my favorite scenes, like, Jennifer, are you happy? She's like, it's hard to be right now, but I can be. And that's something, it's very personal to me because I was going through something while writing this film, but it's definitely something where a lot of people know they could be happy eventually, but it's like they're, they're making decisions for other people rather than themselves. And for, and at that time, Jennifer says, you know, but what about David? Which is an honest question. And some people feel like, how, do, how the hell does Jennifer just leave the... <laughs> ironically the other guy how do you just leave david david it's in, in the world and you're gonna just be with someone else it's like yeah because finally this film she's choosing herself first and you know and mm-hmm. luckily Azriel said you saw for yourself he'll be okay he'll be fine yeah he may have the, those those year or two of like what the hell just happened i love her i miss her but end, he'll be okay and i think with everyone who goes through a breakup they'll be okay but we we can't gloss over those hard times but in the in the end the future we'll all be okay and i think to see jennifer kind of realize that and say yeah fuck i did so he'll be okay now it's about me what what do i want to do now to make sure that i'm okay i got to choose for myself and i think a lot of people are very emotional about those scenes that moment of the film because it's literally seeing someone choose for themselves and that's one of the hardest decisions someone could possibly do because we have to be selfish in a way and yes yes it's hard to leave someone behind but you also have to choose for yourself and people don't do that enough at times Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and something like this like with marriage people often make choices for others that they Mm -hmm. are then locked into for decades or huge stretches of their life so which is okay which is totally okay but but, yeah but yeah but in this (laughs) in this holiday narrative for the people out there who have done that and they kind of want to think about fuck what if i didn't do that this film is for them you know um and mm-hmm. yeah I, and, and i think when you when you add that with the whole new york city aspect it's just adding a whole dynamic of something that's totally 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 different going back to what you're saying sadie about the idea of like you know these holiday films more have like a midwestern or the you know middle america type of feel where they're all fluff we know what's happening we're gonna fall in love at a christmas tree farm and we're gonna fall over the local baker you know that's great <laughs> but, but what happens when but what, but what happens when you literally are on a train riding somewhere and you see two people in love and you you want that you know and you forget that you want Mm -hmm. that because you don't see that enough and i think for a lot of people hopefully people watching this film even in middle america they'll watch this film and think i know that feeling and not it's not even about those two girls it's about longing for something during that train that that train sequence and i that's what i was going for just have that type of universal aspect Can I think it's ask? hilarious that wait, you did you you grew up in Queens according to yeah. IMDb yeah. is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That Definitely. you gave your own character like the <laughs> assiest line in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you have to. I mean, no one else can talk bad about Queens rather than someone that lives there, you know. And and it's it's a uh, it's also funny because at first I didn't want to play David because again my short film I was a lead in that and then um, so I was going to do this film and then you know you had people that said you know you shouldn't be in the film because you have to show what you can do as director and then I thought okay I'll, I'll try to ask other people to be a part of the film and I asked some friends and they didn't get back to me because they hear a low budget film and they kind of think oh what's this going to be but then I gave this film to one of my mentors Karen Arthur and she's a Emmy winning television director and uh, she said you better be in this film. I said, what, why? She said, because you are David, you know, there's no, there's, there's no way people are going to watch this film and then think to your point before David's an asshole because you are naturally, you are a likable person. 
So people have to like David in order to follow the story in a way that you want them to, mm-hmm. because David is not a bad person. He doesn't, he doesn't stand up for his, you know, doesn't stand up against his mother or stand up for Jennifer, which is wrong. But he comes back I around. I say though, yeah. it would be very difficult to stand up against David's mother. Of course, her performance was yeah. incredible, and wow. Yeah, but, I wouldn't yeah. stand she, up to I David's mother. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's, that's Tyra Farrell. She was in Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, White Man Can Jump. Phenomenal wow. actress, Hollywood actress. And she's someone, quickly, she's someone that she, I gave her, I gave her the script. This is where we had Chris on board. I'm like, wow, this is a, this is a really good role too for someone that kind of wants to play with something. And she, she read the role and she said, you know, I would love to do this because of the fact that my whole career, I played middle class women or low income women who are basically trying to put money, put money put food on the on table for their kids. So she'd never been offered an opportunity to play something of affluence. And for her to do that at this point in her career, she was like, I would love to do this because you're doing something just by having like a black type of uh, character or even a black filmmaker. I'm doing something that people haven't seen before in this holiday genre because I'm telling something from how I see it. You know, I've seen rich snobby people who are black. You know, we don't see them enough on television. We might but not in a way that's so New York, you know? And I think for her to see that and people watch this in the film, yeah, we hit we hit, we hit, hit the mother-in-law type of trope, but you're seeing it differently where it stands out because it's different than the mother-in-law that's baking cookies. It's someone who's fucking brass, who's, <laughs> who's, who's tough. You know, Jennifer tries her best to fight against her, like give her some snarky comments back. And I love the father doesn't say a word, you know, he's just there. What <laughs> happens at dinner tables, you know, I've been around those dinner tables. But, um, but also that you see that she just wants the best for David, but seeing how David is standing up for her, you're realizing this is going to be my life forever. My fucking husband just not doing anything against his mother because he's a mama's boy. Mm-hmm. But in the end, David is someone who he means well, clearly. You know, he tells her, what do you want? I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to look for a fight with my mother. And, you know, and in the end, he comes around. But to have him drive in their Tesla and all of a sudden he's like, Queens, <laughs> Queens, wow, this is 30 minutes from Midtown. Who would have thought? You know, it's like a different world out here. Which, which people feel that way about outer boroughs. I mean, I live in Manhattan now, and my mother still lives in Queens. And my mother would say, "Come visit me tomorrow because you're 30 minutes away." I'm like, "Mom, I just can't stop everything, and go to Queens, you know, because even though, it's, <laughs> even though it's right there, it's still so far away." And there's some people who don't go into Queens enough or the other outer boroughs because they feel Manhattan's everything. So what happens when you have that one affluent person who that has never gone to Queens or seen Jennifer's past? And I and I think I think this is the kind of what I, I really enjoy about our film is that almost where an alternate world this alternate world is happening in queens rather than somewhere in california you know what i mean it's like it's an alternate world that could be so alternate because she hasn't been there in such a long time so it's totally different than what she expects because she lives 30 minutes away but she lives in manhattan mainly so this alternate world is happening in queens and there's, there's no more new york city story than these interborough type of uh, crosses can we ask about the chemistry that you found between your leads? Because often oh, of in, in in queer movies, I don't always buy the chemistry between yeah. the actors, and there's a lot that goes into that. But um, I, I won't ask you to uh, to trash another movie that we famously disliked on this podcast. But so we far, didn't find. Uh, the the chemistry on the movie Happiest Season. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. Uh, that strong, and so a New York Christmas wedding for us was like ah, finally actors who seem like they actually like each other. No offense, Cleo Duvall, if you listen to this, <laughs> then send us a message. We'll talk about it. But 
Like, I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the chemistry between uh, Riley and um, uh, R.B. Plaza's character was phenomenal, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, that she was our other guy. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Harper, yeah. We didn't, and again, I we kept comparing it to this because, as you said earlier, we're like, it's 2020. Why are we, you know, Happiest Season was still a coming out story yep. and a story of one partner accepting a lot of abuse and ill treatment just in order to make it work at all. And that's not what a New York Christmas wedding is. It, yeah. like, David was likable. Everybody, the, the David's mother was likable. Everybody was very likable and there was a lot of love. There yeah. were just different options. And there was the the power of grief that really carried through and and Jennifer's bond with Gabby and then her and her father. You know? Yeah, I I think definitely because of we are an independent film and Happiest Season was a film made by TriStar Sony. Um, they go there are a lot of people that are working. I mean, Clay is working on the script with uh, I forget the other person's name who played uh her sister, the ally in the film. Jane. But, yeah, oh, there we go. Great. Yeah, but I don't know what her real name is, but her <laughs> character name was Jane. Yeah, but there but there, but there are so many people that are working. There's so many yeses that have to go on in that type of independent bigger budget level for us we went to studios we said we have this film we have this love story do you want to pre do you want to pre we want to we want to pre-sell the script so we could go into production with studio money and they said no because i'm a first-time writer director and totally understandable so luckily for us and i'm not sure about clea but we were able to kind of do what we wanted to do and make it how we wanted to make it and then from there either you like it or you don't i'm pretty sure on their end i mean having chris stewart part of your film is phenomenal because obviously i'll watch her do anything but to have her and have other people yeah, Mackenzie Davis is even great too. But there, there's, there's there's a part of me, and, and I, I never met Claire, and I hope I do. I hope she's watched our film, which I kind of think she probably should watch our Not should, but she may have watched the film, because I've watched all the other... Um, there's only six of them this year, which is so... How can you not watch six other oh. queer films? But yeah. I watch all of them because they're not competition. It's just that in the year of 2020, our six films will stand out forever, saying the year that queer Christmas film stood out. So that's, that's amazing that a small film can be a part of that type of history. So I watched all the films, and while watching Claire's film, I saw it twice. And I think she did what I was trying to do as well, where you have your Christmas type of romantic comedy, if you want to say that, these type of Christmas holiday films, but she did it in a more personal way where what happens when people are expecting this, like the middle America is expecting, but they're seeing something different that's personal to her, you know, in a way of like, it's so hard as an independent filmmaker. You don't want to. You don't want to be. You want to be commercial because that's where the money is. But you also don't want to give them off something that's hallmarky in a sense. You want to have your own spin. I think. I think what she did was brilliant to have um, Mackenzie's character and Chris's character. It's so specific to what they went through. It's hard, but it's specific. And in the end, people love that or they, or they hate that. And I think it's just something that adds to the conversation rather than having something that's just fluff. But to have, I mean, there was fireworks between Kristen and um, Aubrey's. Aubrey's character because the chemistry is just there and it stands out a lot because those two actresses and also I would say this podcast a little bit biased you all rooted for the other guy so of course you're gonna <laughs> love the chemistry there too <laughs> you know but um the chem the chemistry they had was just it was it was just fun to watch because I like that and a lot of people like that in reality because it's all subtle you know we're not supposed to be doing this we're doing something that's you know that's unwarranted but we can't stop doing it because we enjoy spending time with each other and I think those two characters had that in Happiest Season and for our character characters at a near Christmas wedding, Jenny and Gabby, 
it was really important that you saw love that transcended years, you know. To cast the younger actresses, Natasha Goodman and, and uh, Camilla Hardin, that was difficult. But, I mean, I lucked out with Natasha, who played young Gabrielle. I mean, she's stunningly beautiful, stunningly raw, and she looks like a young Winona writer. You know, her eyes are so expressive. And to see her and Adriana Demi, who plays Gabrielle, they look exactly alike. And they have both of these actresses, the younger versions, mm -hmm. they have those same mannerisms of their older their older yes. um, actors. Co-parts by the but they're just younger. So at the final scene, spoiler: when Jennifer, young Jennifer, young Gabby finally get together, and they just says, "Can I kiss you?" Whenever I watch that scene at the end of the film, I always still see older Jennifer and older Gabby in those younger people because it's still them. You know, they're all one type of character, and I love seeing that. But um, for the chemistry for the two leads, you know, we I've been a big fan of Nia Fairweather for ten years, and Adriana DeMeo, who plays Gabrielle, she's been someone who I've just been a fan of her because she she is that type of raw truth-telling, artistic type of person who you want to hang out with her and have beers and alcohol all night, you know, and she'll love that, you know, she's the type of person. <laughs> but to have those two get together, we, we, we got together about a month. They, they talked on the phone two months before filming. There was never no like chemistry test read or anything like that, but it was very important to them as two actresses that knew they had to really, because Leah lives in California, Adriana's in New York, they had to really kind of communicate in a way of get their backstory right and things like that. So one month before filming, Nia came into town. We spent a weekend trying on clothes. We spent a weekend going to different type of concerts. You know, we just hung out together. And it's actually the photos that you see when Jennifer and Gabby, when Jennifer goes into Gabby's house after her dad, after she sees her dad for the first time before going to church. Those photos of them, they're like still photos um, that are full screen soul photos. Those are from the weekend we all hung out. So they were ultimately, they, they were all like, very, they're both very, very close, comfortable with each other a month before filming. And then when filming, just all came together. I mean, those are two phenomenal actresses that once they're able to play, it's really, really good. And I think it was really, really telling in the silent moments between them. You know, one of my favorite scenes for them is when Jennifer has to read the letter to Gabrielle. And people are like, why would you say the letter after 20 years? It's like, yeah, people save things after, people save things that are special to them. You know, to have, mm -hmm. I mean, I have letters saved from high school. And it doesn't mean I still, I mean, people laugh at me for it, fine. But it's like, I have those because they're important to me at a time. And I think more than anything, and if I didn't have those letters, I wouldn't know I wouldn't know how emotional I was as a young high school person, but people say things. I mean, I, I again, I have answers for everything because the logic of it is like, these are people that are real people. And to have Jennifer and Gabby finally, you know, when she, they make love for the first time, for Jennifer's sake. I mean, I always thought about that that, felt, that scene being something where Jennifer's making love to Gabby. It's her first time making love to a woman. What does that feel like, you know? I thought about that too yeah. watching this. I was like, oh my God, if in this reality she has not been with a woman mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. she suddenly dumped into where she's long-term married to a woman. Yep, yep. We didn't even get into that on our yeah. podcast, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so what, she crushed yeah. it and yeah, I crazy. actually started laughing when A Christmas Tree started yeah. playing and then they did the most beautiful erotic love scene <laughs> to <laughs> Christmas Carol. I was gonna, so, I was gonna, I was going to mention that. Incredible yeah. To <laughs> I, I was going to mention that Jennifer because yeah, to the point people feel like a oh, Christmas tree I'll never hear the song the same ever again. But you know, <laughs> but the the core of it, I mean, I, again, I'm so little when it comes to writing things. So the core of that song, Oh Christmas Tree, is the idea of like how lovely are your branches, it's the root of love, it's a love song, you know, how yeah. how how love how love is, is is set in a foundation, it grows to be something more and it branches out. I mean, that's what their love is. Their their foundation is them as kids. So yeah, granted, it's a little bit too specific, but when you hear it in the version that Danielle King sang, I thought it's a counterpoint. You know, you could have any other music, but why not have a Christmas song to a love scene? You know, it, it's just 
definitely something where it's kind of like, wow, that's different. And that's go back to your point before um, uh, Samantha is like, how do you do something that's different, but still expected? And that's one of those moments. I'm going to borrow how lovely are your branches and, <laughs> and try it in a bedroom setting and see how it goes. Uh, you never, you never, I mean, make sure you have a lot of eggnog there or something so it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's better than what, like, uh, something about loving your peaches and want to shake your tree. And yeah, there we go. Too, or, so. or, 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 uh, wop, right? I mean, that's not, <laughs> you know, it's just, that, that's, that's definitely Pardon literal. That yeah, you know, that's definitely <laughs> literal, but, you know, this is a, this is a holiday film. You know, we have to keep it kind of a little bit rated, yeah. rated G, you know, and, and I, I also think for those two during that scene, and I, at first, it was hard for us to cut because before they go into that intimate love scene, Jennifer was apologizing. She was talking about how much they love each other. And, you know, Jennifer was confessing and finally emoting how she feels about Gabby and their love. And then our editor, Ian Phillips, he was kind of like, talk, 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 talk. People want to get to the point, you know? And I, and as a writer, I'm like, no, this is the point. You know, people are, it's a slow build. That's the hard part with the slow build. Oh, and especially if you're going in there with yeah. lesbians. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a hard part. It's like slow build. And there's, there, there's some times where I've seen some audience reactions and they're watching the film and they're kind of like, okay, when are they, they going to kiss already? Then all of, a sudden, all of a sudden that scene comes like, oh shit, that came out of nowhere. And they're just happy because the tension people feel between them. And that's like real tension because, you know, you're you're with the partner in this alternate world and you're not seeing eye to eye. So until you have that conversation, you have to get on the same page or to that that first real kiss. Mm-hmm. I will say that then after that scene, after that scene when she wakes up the next day and it's Christmas Day, right? It's Christmas Day. We wrote a scene and we filmed it, but it was raining, didn't come out well, where she walks smudge right before church and she sees Asriel in the same alleyway, okay? And Asriel, she remembers Asriel saying you have 48 hours. And instead of Jennifer going to Asriel, she's trying to dodge Asriel because she doesn't want it all to end. And that's, so when you make an independent film, the, these are little moments like that where like, oh yeah, we, we're with her the whole time, but we don't want Azrael to show up. So literally that was written down. We filmed it, didn't come out well. And we had to kind of kill that in the edit. And it felt, and now I understand what people are like, why is Azrael so angry at this like wedding scene? It's because Jennifer is avoiding the reality that she can't stay here. Mm. Damn, that, that I was know? actually <laughs> obsessed with, <laughs> sorry, Sadie, I need to let you go. I want to talk about Azrael right now, so yeah. I'm just going to steamroll over you. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think that part of the reason we all love the ornament so much was, first of all, your actor there, uh, Cooper, it was an absolute delight in this role. And I think he played it with such a, it was just totally serious, but also like just a glint of humor enough about yeah. the insanity of the situation <laughs> that we all felt like we were in it, you know, with him instead yeah. of like, you know, laughing at him. And I think I remember saying on the, our original discussion that it made me want a, a separate stand, like a, a side movie about yeah. what Azrael was doing throughout this time yep. because of his styling changes where he turns up in his little angel outfit and gets hit <laughs> by the car yep. and he's wearing his bad boy leather jacket when he's yep. having his run around, you know, and then... When he comes back to get made into the ornament, he is already dressed and ready. He yep. has his shirt perfectly unbuttoned. He's wearing that killer white outfit. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, so we're all obsessed with the ornament again to come back to that. Yeah, but, but you know, it, it's uh, <laughs> with, with Cooper. Cooper, he saw the breakdown of the of this of the uh, role, and it was like an angel character, Azriel, flamboyant and uh, and uh, flamboyant and um, 
and uh, like like uh, flamboyant and spiritual, and also um, wild, wild, like wild hearted or something like that. I forget the exact uh, description. But mm. Cooper saw that he was like, "Yes, finally, I, I could just play something and play." And there are people who watch the film now who aren't Azrael fans, which is <laughs> which is totally bizarre, but it's fine. But people who watch the film <laughs> now, they're 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 like, and and oh my, and this Azrael character, you know. Why? Why does he? Why does he talk like that? Why is he so gay? It's, it's so bizarre. Where there are queer people who are are asking for things, you give them what they haven't seen before because it's so new to them. They automatically hate it and call another person gay like it's the bad thing. You know what I mean? And and I say that I say that in a way where I'm just always amazed by people who go on social media and just write whatever they want to write. And you have the you have the reason to say that. But how can you how can you knock an angel character one? for being flamboyant when that's what the character's supposed to be. And you blame the actors if it's bad acting. I'm, I'm just always amazed by that. But that's just more me being defensive to Cooper and Asriel as a whole. I, I was, my, my question, my initial question, it actually bleeds um, so well into this because it, it relates to Asriel and also his relationship with Abby, um, or with Gabby. Um, so after watching this movie for the first time, I was discussing it with a few of my friends who'd also seen it. And several of them were interested to know more about maybe like the the pro-life slash pro-choice aspect with Azriel yeah. and Gabby because it it it, it threw yeah. them. Um, and so I was wondering, yeah. you know, have you had this question in the past? Did you like what are your thoughts about it? Oh, thank you. It's a great question. Um, so when when developing the script, it's going back to what Samantha said before, like how do you do something that kind of grabs people? And I always the angel character was the angel character at first. And then I just wanted to figure out how does it make it so specific to Gabby and Jennifer and Azriel. But then when mm-hmm. coming up with the idea where she at first is supposed to be like, like a, a type of pregnancy loss or something like that, but it just seemed too technical and seemed too much of like this a medical thing rather than the idea she lost her child. And I just wanted the child to be specific to Gabby where it's not as if oh, I'm 17 years old, I lost my child, I have another child in three years. You know what I mean? I wanted something to be very, very specific to her. And I didn't realize, I mean, I did realize what I was saying, but I never wanted to talk about, I never I never said, and it's, it's factual, we never said the word, the A word in the film. Not once did we mm-hmm. ever say that. So I, I felt that people were bringing their thought to what happened without us saying that which i thought hey that's kind of cool people will think that's what's happening but that's not what happened and at the end we clarify it and i had feedback from some people that said you can't people are going to wait 85 minutes to find out <laughs> to find out the clarity of the story you know what i mean it's like but mm-hmm. but i just want i i felt like the pro-life aspect people see things differently i i really i really felt that as a spirit i feel like spirits or angel characters anything in sense of that type of mythological type of being or biblical way it's it's not it's it's a life that's gone so people still mourn are stillborn and people might think it was yeah. it was you know they wasn't born yet and it's hard to kind of like pick a side there but in the sense of saying if you're mourning a stillborn you're mourning you're mourning a spirit so i felt like we're, we're gonna go with that route where she's mourning that and as a spiritual person as gabrielle is as a devout person to her religion she would definitely mourn this type of stillborn so i i, I mean mm-hmm. i know i know in in the filming and the writing and the production of it we were leaning into pro-life thing but we also were leaning into, we also were like hinting towards pro-choice, but it's also, it's almost about what people are bringing to it themselves. 
And that's why I wasn't trying to make a statement. This is what I declare and you better be pro-life. I wasn't doing that at all in making this film. I was definitely showing sides of people who definitely feel as if I lost my, I, I, I mean, I lost my, my mother. My mother told me the other day because of this film that, you know, she lost a child at like four, five months or four months. And then you know, I never heard about that, mm-hmm. but she still carries that with her today. You know what I mean? So if you carry that with you today, why can't that type of spirit possibly be something that's looking after you, even though you carry me with you as a spirit? I'm still here in this this ethereal type of place looking after you. That's a long answer, but I feel like that kind of makes sense. And it's hard because there's some people who are totally against it. I totally get it. But I also know for a fact there are people who still hold on to lost type of um, babies or whatever might be the case, and they still carry that with them. So why not put a name to that type of spirit? The whole mm-hmm. point, of, but the whole part is, it's like the whole, when you get into like the whole fetus thing, it's not, a, it's, I didn't, I didn't go that far deep into think, oh, it's a fetus. That's, I didn't go into that type of thought. No, I just thought literally someone, someone loses a child at the time of, even if it's like 10 weeks. I mean, people, I mean, again, you, you all, there's no secret here. You know, people who have lost, lost, um, lost a pregnancy and they, they still feel for that in a way. And luckily they'll have mm-hmm. more children or not, but there's people when they carry that with them, I wanted to show how, destroy that could be for one person who that was everything to them you know and that was what i wanted that asshole character to be and that's why mm-hmm. jennifer when she says he's like i'm asshole gabison jennifer's like oh you're gabby's child you need, you need to meet her and he's like no no it's not about her it's about you because well, yeah. <laughs> that's another film but what would that be like if asriel meets his mother for the first time you know that's talk about an emotional thing but i wanted the audience to kind of understand that's how deep it goes in this situation for asriel and jennifer you know like i'm here for you but he's like, but you're her child. She needs to meet you. It's almost like it's almost like um, a mother who gets a child for adoption. This is a bad example because it's more than that, obviously. But I'm just trying to say this in the scheme of things. And then 20 years later, she sees a child for the first time, which she hasn't seen when he was when he was such a baby. I mean, what what is that? Emo- that's kind of emotion I wanted to have in that scene, and it was there for some people. But for some people, they find it comical, which I can understand that. But I think the, the comic aspect of that scene is because people didn't allow themselves to really go into that type of what that story could mean for Gabby. It's almost like in a theatrical way it, you're, it's just all for jennifer but the real thing is like gabby lost her child and she's been so destroyed about it clearly if you saw at the end of the film forever but what happens when this child has a face he has a name and we're seeing this living spirit not a living fetus because that's 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 this comical but a living spirit it's all about <laughs> spirits when it came to, comes to that and also think about christmas christmas spirits you know christmas spirits all that type of thing. And I, I felt when I wrote that, I'm like, oh, this makes total sense. And for a lot of people, it makes total sense for them. But for some people, you know, they want to find a comical way, which is totally fine. But for that scene specifically, it's like, no, no, no. This is literally about a spirit connect- spiritual connection to all three of them in this type of uh, triangle, more or less. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is getting me right in the feels right now because thinking about Azrael seeking out as a spirit or the person he connects with. Yeah. Not if like there is like he and his mother never got to meet. Yep. But to the person his mother loved the most. Yep. 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 Not, so, I mean, Vinny, what, Vinny, yeah. <laughs> that was actually, that was one of my favorite scenes was when yeah. Jennifer punched Vinny and yeah. was hollering at him. Yeah. It's good. So New, York. <laughs> so, so New York. And, you know, I, when I wrote that scene, it was kind of, again, it, it's hard because you have to show why does Vinny see her for the first time? And then why is Jennifer, I mean, for Jennifer, it's new to him, new to, new to her, but for Vinny, he sees these girls all the time and we have to have a bad guy in like a, any type of film. So and Vinny yells up. Job. Yeah. <laughs> when, Vinny, when Vinny yells up the word. Actor is a nicer person than that. Yeah, he's very nice. He's very nice. He's very nice. 
And then when, uh, and you know, that was the first time we were filming the film because it's, it's a heavier film, but you could see Ania's performance and she improv, she improv a lot of that at the end when she was yelling at the car, like, get a life, Vinny. Why don't you go back to your mama's house, Vinny? You know, you could tell she was having fun and the laughter. And that was the first time in the film you really see her kind of loosen up, you know? Yes. And, um, that was important for us to film that. And I also would say this, and this is the hard part too, and because it's a low-budget film, we had to really be conscious of when we film things. You can't show trees in the background. Mind you, we're filming in July in New York City in the summertime. <laughs> you can't show trees in the background. You can't show people walking around in like short sleeve shirts and tank tops because it's supposed to be Christmas, you know? So, oh my God, they're all let, like in boats yeah. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, let, so, so these are the kind of like production things that you would know now when I tell you, but if you're watching it, you would think, oh, what the hell is this? You know, Netflix, I, I mean, people were saying, I want my subscription money back because, you know, I'll give you $17 a month and this is not a million dollar film. It's like, it was never supposed to be that, idiots. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so but, anyways, but the Vinny character too. I I always, I always think that Vinny, Vinny is someone who, you know, he's just, he, and then also when people like, when he used the word bull dagger, it was so hard for me to write the type of, the type of offensive slur that a bad person would say, but yeah. still not like, you know, I mean, there, there's sometimes people you could use this word, that word. I'm like, it just seems for me, it just seems so, it just seems so, uh, so, cause, cause a lot of these, like these uh, offensive terms have become like, like, uh, everyday sayings nowadays. So what happens when you have this older version person, you know, this 20 years later, he uses this, this dated word, which, and you also, it's a word you haven't heard before in a long time too. Going back to what you said, Samantha, <laughs> about doing something you haven't heard before. Like, why the hell was Vinny in this film yell out bull dagger it's because he's Vinny and only Vinny would use a word like that you know yeah I was expecting her to go back in time not to baking Christmas cookies but to like being at school with Vinny and and using the opportunity to punch him in the face preemptively uh, she, yeah. so. but she but she but she did say at the end you know what about Vinny and she's like you know he tried to have sex with, sex with me and I socked him you know that's what Gabby said at the end. It's like I, I hit, I hit Vinny. We didn't see it, but you know, we we know that you know uh, Gabby had that type of uh, strength. Now, did you all think that Jennifer was going to choose Gabby at the end? When, for, first time watching it, yes, I was I hopeful. Hoped. Well, no. Uh- I wanted her to choose Gabby, but I was afraid that it was going to be more of a sort of like we talked about in the the family man thing, that it was a glimpse. And then it was like, but no, Gabby and your father have died. This reality is gone. Now you need to reconcile this with David. No offense to David. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so it really was that was great wish fulfillment yeah and like, that's actually I, I yeah i wrote and i think it, that's I, also why we all screamed at the ornament yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I i wrote i wrote it to have it at first my first draft was to your point because again as an independent filmmaker it has to be realistic so like oh in, in the end you know she tells david i loved her and boom he says okay and then they walk away and then while he's in the car driving away over the Queensboro Bridge, Jennifer says to David, you know, I had a dream last night and it was crazy. And then she tells him they drive off. And then our producer was like, no, you can never do this ever. You cannot end a film that way because one is unhappy. <laughs> and luckily they said that because I was going for like, yeah, but it's realistic. You know, some people, she didn't have the chance to be with the person because they died. So it's realistic. You have to live with it for the rest of your life. But they said, you can't do that. You know, you have to fix this ending. So I talked to people about it. I talked to them about it. And I had one of my friends, Brandon, who I work with, he said, why don't you just have the angel come back and then you know take her back in time i'm like you can't do that's not realistic like dude it's a christmas film you do whatever you want <laughs> and then i'm thinking <laughs> and then, then i'm thinking well maybe 
let me explore this. And then to have that scene when she says, you know, we talked about it, you know, what do you want to do? I can take you back and I'll give myself up. And I'm like, this is this is really saying something because to your point, it is a holiday film and we we know what the we, we know in reality you can't go back. But in a film for this love story, if we could see them go back and what can really happen, that's a nice way to end the film. And I and I think I'm so grateful that people were adamant about not ending the film in a realistic way because you already do with time travel and angels, so there's no realism there anyway. When she goes back and you can help settle. Um, this was the, the the last question I have in my notes <laughs> of uh, things I wanted to be sure we hit. Does she have the memories of being um, like in her thirties and oh, David? Yeah, yeah. And it, does I, she I, carry yeah. all that with her? Well, I mean, I remember you spoke, talked about it before, and you think it's like thirty going on thirty, right? Yeah, you feel as if she's yeah. kind of. <laughs> Uh, see, I, it's like I want to. I want to kind of like. I don't want to give it away, but I, I think. I think she doesn't have every full memory. I don't think she's thinking about punching Vinny, <laughs> punching Vinny as an adult. <laughs> I think it's almost like deja vu. You know, I, I think when she mentions. You know, when we get married, I see this having this big wedding. I think for her whole life, she always had that dream of having that, you know, and I think it's almost like a lot of people think when you see the alternate world, when you look back at it, now you're seeing the future of their relationship, possibly. Does that make sense? That makes mm-hmm. sense? So people yeah. are saying that you're, you're seeing the yeah. future. Mind mind you, you're seeing how they're starting, what, what, what would have happened. But things would happen differently because she never had sex with Vinny. So I totally do feel that she definitely doesn't rem- she does not remember everything that happened to her in the future. I just think at that moment, she definitely knows that if we ever get married, I, I see us having this great big wedding. She's very optimistic about that. And I think that's why Gabby kind of laughs. Oh, you can see the future now, <clears throat> which, which could be a little bit confusing. But it's almost like a wink to the audience. But I do feel as if she definitely is someone who she has deja vu moments. We've all had them. It's like, have I been here before? And she'll have that for the rest of her life. And hopefully mm-hmm. we have another film to kind of explore that, you know? Um, it's, yeah, I, I think that's something where I don't, I don't see her, I don't see her playing the lotto, you know, I don't see her saying, I know what's going to happen on <laughs> December 19th, you know, 2020, 2007. I just see her literally living her life and being happy and seeing what could possibly happen. And maybe she may run into David, the other guy at the end, sometime in the future. Imagine that. Yeah. What is his other movie? He had a whole nother wife and kids in yeah. the alternate reality. I, yeah. <laughs> We were kind of given our stated purpose on this podcast to make a case for the other guy. We were we a little hasty to just start screaming, David will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we had seen it. He was yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, he had he had the perfect, you know, the perfect, beautiful blonde wife who that which is kind of hit a stereotype too for David as a black rich person. He's going to have a blonde wife. And hey, those kids, actually, those are my niece and my nephews, by the way, those two kids. And, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, this Christmas, we, we, we saw that scene about like 12 times, like again, 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 you know? So, um, and also, Smudge is my dog in real life. Yeah. yeah. We are always obsessed with animal actors yeah. on this podcast. And so Smudge <laughs> yeah. uh, needs my, oh, no. is Smudge her real name as well. Her, name, her, her, her real name is Willa Grace Abbott. Willa Grace Abbott. Willa Grace. Oh. Yeah. She's like an heiress. IMDb page of her own. <laughs> yeah, she she actually and she's actually in Jitters when she was uh oh. one uh, she was one one no two just two when we filmed Jitters so she was in that and we named our production company Willful Productions after her Willa Willful and um it's funny because I mean because I'm a, a director now, I, I have nepotism yeah yeah so she uh she's a female dog but in Smudge in the film she plays a male dog and I just wanted to kind of 
almost play with the whole gender thing where even for dogs they're playing alternate type of characters too and she played it well very shakespearean she did a great job (laughs) yeah yeah it's so it's so funny because you know uh we talk about when jennifer sees gabby at the altar and then jennifer gabby's like you know to defeat smudge and then jennifer's like who (laughs) oh the dog 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 yeah 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 i fed him i got i fed fed her and then then gabby's like did he you know what i mean i'm trying to i mean it's also me it's kind of like pat myself in the back but some people get it some people don't (laughs) i love that jennifer got to have her red dress moment oh yeah because as an uh, yeah i that was my only only, uh, and of course, this is a 90 minute Christmas movie. So, you know, but uh, going in, watching things very literally, I personally would have been so mad if I had been surprised married, yep. not in an outfit of my choosing. Yep. But then she got her dress. So. Yeah. <laughs> if you got the dress that she knew <laughs> as a young child, she always wanted. But you know what's funny about that too? Because whenever I see the playbacks for that, and, you know, it, it makes sense that she's always kind of, you know, Jennifer is like, ah, oh, surprise wedding. And people are kind of saying, like, I hate surprise weddings, and you should hate them too. But I think if you want to marry someone, I'm not if you want to marry, but if someone who you want to marry is like, we're going to do this and granted it's not the right way to go about it. But if you love them, you're just happy to see them happy. I don't know. I don't, I don't I mean, I, I just like surprise wedding and a Christmas. I mean, also for our film, going back to what the producers wanted, how are you going to have a Christmas wedding film and people know it's coming the whole time? You know what I mean? So you have to give them something different and it's a surprise wedding basically. Um, Cause that was my whole fear. So like, if you know they're going to be a wedding with two women getting married, why tune in other than the fact that you have Chris Noth in it, but why tune in in a way where it's totally different? Um, but the surprise when it works for that, and then at the end to see Jennifer say, you know, Anna gets to wear a dress, and then out of this nowhere, this behind this mirror, this beautiful red dress, and Nia calls her Red Ruby, comes on board, and it's just, it's just, it's a really happy moment to see her just, you know, in the beginning of the film with um, my mother, David's mother, she says, ah, oh, this is all very red, and like, it's appalled by it, but to wear a red dress and celebrate <laughs> love in this alternate world, she loves it. And that, that just, I think that goes to my deeper message about with the right person everything could be perfect and but for jennifer it wasn't right so she was finding not finding excuses but she saw reasoning why this there's a bigger issue and it's me why i'm not happy for this wedding and i think that's what mm-hmm. i was really exploring and and i would say this going back to i think i was telling jennifer about the idea of like um we had uh, some deleted scenes during the walk and talk when Jennifer and Azriel first meet and he gets hit by a car and the car drives off. So New York, then all of a sudden they are walking down the street and they're talking and Jennifer's mentioning a Christmas wedding. And then Azriel says, well, we cut it out. He says, um, you know, you should be happy. Not everyone, not everyone has a privilege to get married. And that was supposed to be like an, uh, like a, a foreshadowing of the idea of, you know, you can get married in, in the church, you should be happy, but not everyone like women, like people who are same sex can't get married. And you're, you're over here arguing about the idea of it's a Christmas wedding versus a regular wedding, you know? Mm-hmm. But our editor, Ian Phillips, was kind of like, oh, you don't need this, which I thought, I mean, that's the whole point of the movie. The whole point of the movie is that <laughs> she, didn't, she, didn't, she didn't understand how special a wedding could be for some people who they don't have the privilege to get married. So when you see someone get married to women, get married in, the, in this type of setting, it means everything because not everyone gets that privilege to kind of decide, I don't want this or I don't want this. You know what I mean? So I, you know, it's a thing where we wanted the right type of ideas and we just had to kind of keep on stream, stream, streamlining it. And that's the hard part because a lot of people watch films, they want answers to everything and I can answer them, but they want the answers in 90 minutes to make sure that you hit everything for them. Now I would say this for her father too. People question about her father, um, Mr. Ortiz played by David Anzuelo, wonderful actor. He died of liver cancer and it was kind of implied that he had health concerns and that's why when they're taking shots during the dinner scene, then it was like, no more for you, dad, your health, things like that. You know, there's a lot of things mm-hmm. where you look so good, Poppy, 
Brady because he was a drinker. I mean, granted, we didn't we didn't go overboard with the stereotype of him being drunk at the wedding, you know. But he died of you know he was someone who died when through normal causes in a sense of like age happens. So people are like. That she goes back in time. Of course, she'll go back because her dad's alive. And I hate to be at that 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 bear of bad news, but eventually we're all gonna die. But in the sense of this film, <laughs> Mr. Ortiz died. Samantha's yeah. constant point on this yeah. podcast. Don't yeah. worry, you're yeah. continuing a theme. Yeah, seriously. Thank you, Samantha. So in the end, we're all gonna die. So why are you so fascinated about how the hell did he die? He died because people die. You know, I mean, it's a it's a short way to say that, but in the end, it's like he died from you know liver complications. And in my first draft of the film when Jennifer is getting dressed after Gabby leaves she gets dressed and then Mr. Ortiz pops in he's holding he's holding some drinks and he's like you know I'm so happy for this wedding and then Jennifer's like you know dad slow down in the drinking but it's it's became too heavy rather than more about the love will they still adopt smudge in the the final timeline the returned back in time grow old together timeline i would hope so and definitely smudge's available to film those scenes you know because i definitely <laughs> do think that we want to see more of willa grace abbott more of smudge that's because what a great name smudge too it's like it's just a funny type of thing and I'm biased, but you know she's such a beautiful doll to look at. You know her she eyebrows, and, her eyebrows are so expressive. Um, and when you go back, if, if the viewers will go back to watch the film when Jennifer's crying after reading that letter, uh, Smudge finally comes up to her, and you know basically, basically like you know what dogs do to humans when they're crying. It's like they check in on them because they're very, very emotional, it's very, very subtle. But I was so happy that Willa performed that scene perfectly. Um, but did, is it clear though? When is it clear how important that fight was? For Jennifer, when they were arguing at the at the Christmas dinner, because I feel like oh, a lot of people yeah. they're, they're kind of like, well, you know, why is she still why is she still hold, hold, why is she still arguing about this arguing about Vinny twenty years later in this alternate world? I'm like, because she never got to ask her these it's questions ever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought Gabby was uh, proved herself as a really good partner there, yeah. realizing how emotional Jennifer was and yeah. still humoring this that they probably in an alternate timeline that another Jennifer existed in. Correct. You know, had had before. But yeah, it was it was very real to her. Also, this feels like the time to slip in that as a Jennifer, I liked having a Jennifer protagonist was nice, especially played by the absolutely amazing actor who was who was representing her. And <laughs> as a writer, though, I just wanted to compliment you for the the way the different you you yourself have a, a three syllable name and you have yeah. Chris Noth calling you toe. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're Jen or you're Jennifer. Yeah. So yeah. Jenny is only my uh, former third grade playground boyfriend can call me that now. Yeah. I loved that Gabby and Jenny. Gabby yeah. is the person who calls her Jenny and can call yep. her Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah uh, thank you. Thank you. I remember you said that. I'm kind of like, oh yeah, like Jennifer. That that does make sense. Where you don't see many Jennifer. I mean, you see a lot of Jennifers, but yeah. like I, I was kind of <laughs> I was kind of nervous because of Jennifer, like Jennifer Ortiz and Latin. You think about Jennifer Lopez, New York City, but in the end, I just liked the name Jennifer and and when. Again, another thing we tried to film, but we didn't we didn't have enough time is when Jennifer leaves the um her dad drops her off in the car when she meets him for the first time and they go to his uh her house. When she gets to the apartment, she's supposed to look at the uh at the uh Rolodex more or less, or like the uh you know, directory for the apartments. And you see everyone's last name, like you know, you see Martinez, Weinberg, all that stuff. And then for their apartment 3M, it's in the script, but we we, we couldn't get it because we're low budget. But it says Gabby and Jenny in their apartment rather than their names. And I think that would have been like little things like that were, were written, yeah. but it's just, you know, it's, it's a learning experience. You're making a film in 14 days, low budget film. 
you have the right intentions, you get what you can, but sometimes you, things run out, but the whole thing, you get it done. So in the future, I thought it's one thing where I know about the film, like when it, you know, it hits people like all three of you in a certain way. And some people have their questions, but I know if we had more money or if we had a studio behind us, we could have had the extra two days to film that Gabby and Jenny insert, you know, but you don't have that time. So it's like, what can you do? You have to just keep on moving. Well, yeah. Atoche, what's next for you? What? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What so right you now, going on? right now, just now that Christmas literally is over now, but you know we have another month of the film being around on Netflix. Um, I'm just going back to writing. Definitely, I, I definitely once once you see jitters, you know what I'm talking about, but. I'm exploring jitters into a theme where there's like like, a, like an anthology series about it. The idea of like these different short stories about jitters. And the main thing with jitters resonates with people is that it's like how does someone make a decision? And what keeps the audience interactive is that you have to not pick the choice that people assume you're going to make. So I'm writing different short stories about that and... Once you see jitters, you'll see it. You understand what I'm talking about. Because I feel like jitters is my uh, it's my main thing for me. Where it's like it's a great example of what I am as a filmmaker and as a voice. I'm a Nigerian American. I grew up in a Nigerian household. My my friends are all American, but I see the world so differently and so not pure, but in a different way than most people because I come from two different worlds. And what I present to the world in my writing is who I am. It's so unique and original. Uh, one can hope. So um, I'm working on that. I wrote another feature film that I want to definitely get developed. And um, I, wa I want to keep on telling stories. During this pandemic, we shot three music videos. You can find them on Wolf of Productions. Two of them are from the film. The end credit song, I Heard the Bells of Christmas Day by Kelsey Madsen. Then I saw Memories that I actually wrote for the film. So I also wrote a song for the film. That's when Jennifer comes back home after this whole Gabby and Jenny apartment thing. She goes into her house for the first time and changes for church in leather pants. I wrote that song to put in the film. So I'm very proud of that. So I just want to keep on creating, basically. I mean, I, I just know for a fact to have my first film acquired by Netflix, grab an audience's attention. It's great. It's yeah. like, I, I want to keep on. Yeah, thank you. I want to keep on going. And I know as a, as a Black filmmaker, I don't have a lot of opportunities to fail, even though I should. But I also know that I'm at a level now where, like, this film, like I said before, is a first genre film first film but it's a genre film but my next film has to be more indicative of what i'm trying to say as an artist and i want to leave with love of course and i'll leave with, leave with love in a way but it has to be without the christmas background of course but uh, i just want to keep on going because i really enjoy this whole process i enjoy press during the pandemic but i also want to keep on going and growing because there's so many stories i want to tell I just need the audience and the studios of people behind me to really support it because making an independent film is hard. It's not easy. You, you'll get it done no matter what. And I think that's what Wolf of Productions is, our moniker. You know, if there's a will, there's a way. Wolf of Productions. But I also think no matter what, I just want to keep on working. So all I'm going to do is keep on working. We'll be excited mm -hmm. to, to follow you and see what, what you're doing. We really appreciate you giving us this time. And if you'd like a list of roles I would like to see Chris Noth play, <laughs> um, I can get that over to you. A bungee well, jumping instructor comes There we to go. Mind. Oh, what else? What else? What else? How about a podcast host? He actually, oh, he actually is going to do a podcast. He's working on that. Yeah, working on that. Oh, he yep. has such a good voice for a podcast. He a yeah, he has a great, great voice. Yeah. He actually, we actually, um, we were spending New Year's Eve together and you'll see it on his social media. You know, he has a part of a, a tequila company called Ambar Tequila and uh, we had a really good time and, and I had to like record a video for him to tell everyone Happy New Year's and if you see the video, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I am searching you up your uh, Instagram right now yeah, yeah. as we speak. It's, 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 it's on Chris, it's on Chris's, it's on Chris's, actually, it's on Chris Noth official. And his. Yeah. Okay. But, but that's the whole thing, you know, he, he's such a good friend, he's such a 
good sport. He's such a fun person, and it's alive whenever we're, we're all together. So, <laughs> I think more than anything, once you work in a business and you work with friends, that's like you, like what you all doing right now. You work with friends; it's all fun, and I want to keep that going. Basically, when the pandemic is over and we yes. see Chris Noth, we're gonna holler, Doctor Father Kelly, Kelly. Father Kelly, Father Kelly, yeah. not Doctor. I'm sorry. Um, he could have a doctor. Puzzled by the tequila. Yeah. Priest can be <laughs> a doctor too. <laughs> Yeah. Dr. Father Kelly. And uh, at you, we're going to scream, David. There we go. We hope things went well for you. I hope so, too. I mean, in the end. And you we know. truly do in real life. Yeah. Hope things went well for you. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, for, for Willow Grace's sake. Yeah, definitely. Well, Dad, did we hit all the questions that you you had about the film? God, I, no. I, we I could talk to you for like 73 hours. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> I just want to make sure that there's no question that's unturned, you know. And I mean, you're all kind. Of, like you're all I've kind to me, but yeah, me. good. I just want to make sure that I want to hit everything for you all, you know. Well, no... we hope next year that there is a, a semi-affordable Azrael ornament available. Yes. In the meantime, what's um, a good price? What's a good price for it? You think? Priceless. I would pay thirty-five dollars for okay. the Azrael ornament. Okay. Damn, Samantha, jump me up. I was gonna the hard bargaining say twenty-five would be my limit, but. I honestly, I would pay. I would probably pay up to fifty dollars for this okay. stinking ornament yeah. at this time. That I'm excited about it. Well, I think. But when I'm you're, probably well, going to yeah. try to make my own version of it. Mm. I'll I'll send you a picture. There we go. I hope it will turn out <laughs> as well. I, I I won't tag Cooper. He doesn't. He doesn't have Instagram, so he'll be fine. He has an Instagram. Oh, okay. Yeah, it'll be <laughs> fine. It'll be fine.